we've been starting this new series in Galatians uh, that we're going through this spring, just kind of verse by verse, learning more and more about the gospel, what it is, uh, why it's important, how it impacts our lives, how we can press into that um, more this season, and and what that's going to do for us in our hearts. And so we want to do that again today in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. So we're going to finish out chapter 1 today uh, as we look at Paul's testimony. It's really where we're going to go this morning. And as I was thinking about that, you know, if you talk to anyone in the advertising world, they will tell you that word of mouth is always the best, right? When you, when you know somebody and like they, you trust them, you trust their recommendation, like, hey, you need to check this place out, go to this restaurant, like you're in on that. And what kind of takes that to the next level is always testimonials, right? So it's not just like, hey, check this out, but like, here's what it did for me. And you see this a lot in advertising, especially this time of year when they're trying to sell you all the new diet stuff, right? Like, so you see the pictures like this where he's like, I lost 300 pounds. And you're like, yeah, you did. Like, like, you, like I see it. Like, you see the testimonial, the, 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 you see the difference in the picture, right? Or um, our oldest daughter is uh, just started to get braces, and they, you know, they bring you in, and they show you, like, the before and after pictures when the teeth are going, like, six different ways. And then afterwards, they're, like, magically all of a sudden, like, straight <laughs> and whitened somehow. That's an actual real picture, by the way. I did not know that, but this is, that used to be him. So, um, and so like, but it's, it's like, okay, I see the difference. I see the change, right? Um, one of the ones that was most, the most outrageous ones that I was thinking about this week was the, the flex tape commercials. Remember that? And he like saws the boat in half and then tapes it back together and goes riding across the water. And you're like, okay, I'm on. Like I'm in on the flex tape, right? Like it's obviously something works here. Testimonials work because you get to see firsthand the change, the difference, right? And when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the Christianity, it's the, it works the exact same way. Now, we're not marketing anything here. This morning. I'm not selling you anything, but I'm just telling you, the way you know that the gospel is real, the way that you know that you've truly been changed or you've really experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ is that it changes you. There's a change in your life that comes as a result of faith in the Savior, And that's what Paul's going to show us this morning in his testimony. He's going to give us evidence of that change and how powerful that is as he proves himself to the Galatians. Like, listen, this is, I'm for real. This is legit of what I'm telling you about the gospel. And so he's going to use his testimony to drive home this gospel reality that if the gospel hasn't changed me, then the gospel hasn't saved me. Listen to that again this morning. If the gospel hasn't changed me, then the gospel hasn't saved me. And so I'm gonna look, we're going to look here at three parts of Paul's testimony and how that plays out in his life. So let's look at verse 11. Picking up there, it says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many, many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So this is the first part of his testimony. And the first thing we learn from this is that God sees me in my sin. That God sees me in my sin. Now, so for, for some of you right now, that's probably terrifying. But it's actually good news. And I'm going to show you why. He starts off here. He says, the gospel I preached was not man's gospel. He's like, I didn't get it from men, right? He goes on to say, I I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by any man. And the reason Paul is driving this home again is because you have to understand, prior to Paul's conversion, 
he no doubt already knew about Christianity. He already knew what they were. He already knew what they taught. He knew what Christ claimed. In fact, that's the reason that he hated it so much. That's the whole reason he was persecuting Christianity and trying to destroy it. It's because he understood exactly what they were saying. He, they, he understood that they said, like, hey, Jesus was the Messiah and he was crucified. And for Paul as a Jew, that was like non-compute. Because the Bible says that anyone who is crucified is cursed by God. He's like, how, the Messiah can't be cursed. Like, he, like for him as a Jew, that, that, that does not work. Right? He, he couldn't understand how that fit together. He understood Christianity to say that, hey, the Torah, the Jewish scriptures that you hold in such high regard, they're not enough. They're not enough to save you. Even the Jews have to have faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul, he could not receive that. Paul already knew what Christianity taught, and he understood it to be a heretical sect of Judaism, and that's the reason that he wanted to vehemently oppose it and destroy it. And so when you have a mindset like that, listen, no argument from man is going to convince you otherwise. There is no way another guy or another person could have come to Paul and given him an argument for Christianity that he'd have been like, oh yeah, okay, I see now, I'm good. He was opposed to it in every way. Even when he was standing there seeing Christians martyred for their faith, willing to die because of their faith in Jesus Christ, he was unmoved. He was unmoved. He was resolute in his decision that Judaism was right and Christianity was wrong. He said, I didn't receive it from a man. He said, I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Because this is the only way that a man like Paul was ever going to believe the gospel. Was if God himself showed up and said, hey, this is what it is. And so Jesus revealed it to him. This is how sure Paul was of his beliefs. This is how prideful he was. This is how self-assured he was that he was right. That it took seeing Jesus face to face to prove him otherwise. Only God can break through a cold, prideful heart like that. Men can't do it. Preachers can't do it. Christians can't do it. Churches can't do it. Only God can break through a heart like that. John Stott, in his commentary on Galatians, he wrote this. He said, such was the state of Saul of Tarsus before his conversion. He was a bigot and a fanatic, wholehearted in his devotion to Judaism and in his persecution of Christ and the church. Now, a man in that mental and emotional state is in no mood to change his mind or even to have it changed for him by someone else. No conditional reflex or psychological device could convert someone in that state. Only God could reach him, and God did. God looked and he saw Paul in his prideful, self-assured, immovable state. And he still came to rescue him. He saw him in his sin and pride and he still said, I'm going to make it right. You know, these days we have come to rely a lot on different things in our lives, especially technology. And one example I was thinking of was, was GPS, right? Like if you have to go somewhere new, like you don't even, you don't even think about it. You just plug it into your phone, your, your car, and you just start driving, right? You just assume like it's going to get me there. Um, we have small group at our house every week and, you know, occasionally we'll have new people coming. And so we'll say, all right, hey, it's Thursday night. It's this time. Here's the address. And we just get, and I just expect that they're going to get there, right? 
But we found out over time that the problem is that some GPS systems, our, our house, it, it backs up to this like residential care facility, uh, our backyard does. And some GPS systems actually have our address attached to their road instead of our road. And so like people will like follow the GPS and they think they're going to the right place and they pull up like, you've arrived at your destination. And they look up and it's a nursing home. They're like, oh, that's weird. Like, I don't think that's where we're supposed to be. Um, they're not, yeah, you're right. They're not supposed to be there. Um, because, see, they had, they had full confidence. They had full assurance that the GPS was going to get them there. But they put their hope in the wrong source because they had the wrong information. Paul had full devotion to Judaism. He had full sincerity in his heart, fully believing that this was the answer to man's problem. But he was putting his hope in the wrong source. And it was getting him to the wrong destination. And so many today are doing the exact same thing. They are sincere. They are wholehearted. They are all in on whatever their thing is. But if it's not Jesus, it's not going to get him there. And so God comes to meet us in that and to pull us out. Thankfully, God sees us. He sees us in our sin of pride and self-assurance, and he still desires to save us. Paul goes on with this story. He says, I formerly persecuted the church violently to destroy it. Now, in modern-day terms, we would call Paul a terrorist, which I know sounds heavy-handed, but think about this. He, was, he hunted, imprisoned, and even approved of the murder of Christians. Acts says that he was supervising as they stoned Stephen to death. Right? This was what he did. When he met Jesus, he was actually on his way to Damascus to expand his reign of terror on Christianity. He wanted to completely annihilate them. This is why later on, among other things, he'll refer to himself as the chief of sinners. Because Paul knew where he came from. He knew his shameful, sinful, wicked past that God had saved him from. Often I'll hear people, as a pastor, will have conversations and and they'll refuse Jesus because of the shame of their sin. They're like, Mike, you, you don't know. There's no way. There's no way I could go to church. You you don't know what I've done. There's no way that God wants to forgive me. The, the shame is too deep. The sin is too much. I've, 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 my sins are too big. I've done too much. Let me just press on you this morning. Listen, Paul's testimony says the exact opposite. There's no one in this room who has sinned against the Lord more than Paul did. He was trying to take out the entire church. There's nothing you've done. There's no wicked sin in your life that God can't and does not want to forgive and to bring you into the fold. Your sinful wickedness is not a deterrent to Jesus. It's actually the reason why he came. To save you from it. And so Paul... We see him in his self-assurance and his pride. We see him in his sinful wickedness. But then there's even more. Look, he says, I was advancing in Judaism, extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So not only was Paul prideful and wicked, he was also religious. <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, that checks out, actually. I'm, uh, I've seen some people like that. I've met those people, right? He was a prized student of a famous rabbi in Judaism. He was part of the Pharisees, and he lived by the strictest code of the Jewish law. No one was better at religion than Paul was, right? He was 
He was the best. He knew all about Judaism. He knew how to earn favor with God by keeping the law. That was his whole thing. But Paul also knew that he had tried that path, and it didn't work. That it never got him any better, any closer to perfection, to holiness, to being with God. And this, unfortunately, is the story for some of us in this room as well. Maybe the first two categories didn't fit you. Maybe, maybe you didn't do the big bad sins and like other people. Like Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've been around religion your whole life. And you've checked all the boxes and you've done all the stuff and you've tried to earn your way to be good enough for God. But if you do that very long, you know that doesn't work. Because there's always one more thing that you have to do. There's always one more thing on the list to be good enough that you can't reach, that you can't be perfect in. Paul knew that. Paul tried that. And the good news for Paul and the good news for us is that God sees us in our failing, self-righteous religion, and he still wants to save us. He still wants to rescue us through the gospel. Pastor Tim Keller, he wrote it like this. He said, the gospel calls us out of religion as much as it calls us out of irreligion. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Paul was deeply religious, but needed the gospel. Paul was deeply flawed, and yet he could be reached with the gospel. This is all of us. Every one of us fits in one or more of those categories. And we need the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though we're sinners. God sees you in your sin, and he still offers you the gospel. So Paul says, that's where I was. I was stuck in sin, and God came to me. And then we see the second part of his testimony. Look at verse 15. It says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Second lesson we learn here is that God saves me by his grace. He sees me in my sin, and then he comes to save me by his grace. Verse 15 starts off with the word but. But is the gospel conjunction. Right? It's, it's the word that we use when we want to talk about rescue. I was this, but God showed up. And we, we, we just kind of inherently know this, right? We use this in our everyday language, right? But is the word of hope in the midst of a bad situation, right? Like, the other team scored a touchdown, but there was a flag on the play. There's still hope, all right? Okay, not enough football fans in here. I got, I got in a car wreck, mom and dad, but, 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 but no one was hurt, right? The car was, but, but I'm good. There's good news in the midst of it. The doctor walks in and says, you have cancer, but... It can be treated. Right? There's hope. There's something on the other side. I was at my wit's end with this kid, but God changed him. I was on the verge of suicide, but God came and rescued me. The but is where it all shifts. And Paul says, but God chooses me. God chooses me. It, he says he set me apart before I was born. 
That's a strong statement. Paul declares that God chose to save him from his sin and from this life even before his birth. In fact, Paul tells us that the same is true for every single child of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says like this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God chose us just like he chose Paul, despite our years of rebellion and religiousness and wreaking havoc, God still chooses to save us. He chooses us not because we're worthy. Do you understand that? Like, we don't bring anything to the table. Paul Paul was not looking for this. He was not coming looking for Jesus. He wasn't looking for grace. He wasn't looking for help. God showed up to do it for him, to choose him. And in choosing us out of our sin and out of our past, he also rescues us and redeems all of that life. You're saying God doesn't waste any of our life. He doesn't waste any of our sinful past, any of our sinful struggles. Any, he uses all of that for his glory on the other side of but. Paul had a deep knowledge of the Torah, what we call the Old Testament. He had all these speaking and leadership skills that he had developed while he was persecuting Christians in Judaism. He had this unrelenting, zealous personality that drove him to commit these heinous crimes. And yet, God was going to take all of that and reuse it and repurpose it to spread the gospel and to plant churches all over the world. God doesn't waste any of our stuff. He uses it for his glory. In his biography, C.S. Lewis, autobiography rather, C.S. Lewis talks about a school teacher that he had when he was younger named Kirkpatrick. And they nicknamed this teacher the Great Knock because he was this furious debater and logician and, and would just like really press the, the students to learn to grow and, and to build a case and to make strong arguments and be able to argue uh, their way through things. So C.S. Lewis learned underneath him, but the catch was Kirkpatrick was actually an atheist. And so his goal was not just to build these strong debaters, but to build them into his own faith or lack thereof so that they could refute Christianity. Only several years later, Lewis becomes a Christian, only to find out that the great knock had actually trained him to become one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith in all of the 20th century. God used that past, he used that sinfulness for his glory and for his good, as C.S. Lewis now has written more to defend the Christian faith maybe than any other author in this century. God chooses to save us, and he chooses to use us, all of our stuff, all of our past, all of our personalities, all the things for his good. So God chooses me, and then the second thing Paul tells us is that God calls me. He says he set me apart, and then he called me by his grace. 
So picture this, Paul's on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, he speaks to Paul directly, and he calls him, he's like, hey, leave all this other stuff behind, like, come and be with me through grace. He called him out of his past and into the future with Jesus. You see, God's calling is different than our calling, right? Like, for example, like, when I, when I call my kids to dinner, no telling what's going to happen. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like, I might get a verbal response, like, okay, maybe not. They might put their devices down and come to the table promptly or probably not. I may have to march up the stairs and grab them by their earlobes and pull them down because they will not listen when I call them to come. My call is a call of desire, right, that I hope that they're going to comply with. God doesn't call like that. God's call is a call of action. God's call, his, his word is deed. Whatever God says, it happens, right? When God said, let there be light, there was light. When he said, peace, be still, the waters stopped. He wasn't like, hey, can we have a conversation? Would you mind kind of settling down a little? Like, he wasn't asking. He said, be still, and it was still. When he said, hey, Laz, come out. He didn't have to, like, go in there and do CPR or get the paddles, right? Like, he just stood up and walked out of the grave. When he speaks, things happen. Because God's call is call of action indeed. And when he calls us to himself, we respond by his grace. Paul says that this was all by his grace, his, his unmerited favor. Again, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't on the hunt for something. Jesus came and found him and called him to himself. It was called him out of his rebellion, out of him being an enemy of God. Because it was his pleasure to save him. And he calls all of us as well. Not because we're looking for him. Not because we deserve it. He calls us because he loves us. And it's the desire of his heart to save us and to bring us into his family. He chooses me. He calls me. And then lastly, Paul shows us that he shows me. God shows me. The truth. Paul says like this, he says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now the word reveal there is important because it's not just like taking, you know, the, 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 the blanket off of something and show, oh, there it is. Like, no, reveal is like to open his eyes. That he was blind, but now he can see. That's what revealed means. That literally he was blinded by his sin, he was blinded by his pride, he could not see the truth of Jesus. Remember, he already knew he already knew the teachings of Christianity. He already knew who Jesus was. He already knew the claims of his Messiahship and his deity and all of that. But he didn't believe it because he couldn't see. He was blind to the truth of the gospel because of his sin and his pride. And he needed God to reveal Jesus to him. To open up his eyes to the truth of who he was. And we see this pattern again with Peter as well. Way back in the Gospels, Jesus is talking to his apostles one time in Matthew 16, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being Peter, of course, is the first one to speak up. And he's like, oh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And listen to Jesus' answer. This is so interesting. Listen to this. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father in heaven. Now think about this. Peter has been with Jesus for years now. He has seen firsthand the teachings, the miracles, the power. He has seen everything that Jesus has been doing that should be able to convince him that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet Jesus says, you don't believe this because you saw it. You don't believe this because you've heard it. You believe this because God has revealed this to you. This is how it works. God opens our eyes. He reveals the truth of Jesus so that we can turn and believe in faith. Paul says, He revealed His Son to me so that in order that I might preach Him. See, Paul understood that he wasn't saved just for his own sake. It wasn't just for his own benefit. He was saved so he could serve the Lord, so he could share this newfound Savior with everyone who would listen. And he longed for others to see, for their eyes to be opened, for them to see and to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same is true for every one of us. God reveals Jesus to us to save us, and so that we can go and share him with others. It's not just for me. It's not just, it's not just for my benefit. God saves us to give us a purpose and a mission. He saves us, and then we are sent out with Jesus to take him to others who need him. God saves you by revealing Jesus to you and then calling you to his grace. By revealing Jesus to you, opening your eyes and showing you who he is, the truth of the gospel. And once you see it, he says, all right, now you can come. So he sees me in my sin. He saves me by his grace. And then lastly, look at the last part of Paul's testimony. Look at verse 16. It says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing, it said, that he who used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Last part of the testimony, God changes me for his glory. He changes me for his glory. Paul says, I went away into Arabia. Now, he doesn't actually tell us exactly why he went into Arabia, and this is kind of like one of the only mentions of it, but we can get it from the context, right? Like, he went into Arabia to learn and to receive the gospel message from God. He went to go get alone with the Lord so that he could hear and make sense of all. Like, he's like, all right, I, I know I'm saved now. I know Jesus, but I still have this Old Testament stuff. And I got all, like, he had to put it all together. And so he goes alone and he gets alone with God for, it seems like about three years for an extended time to learn the gospel and to learn the truth of what uh, God wanted to be preached. So he would then be prepared for ministry and what God had called him to. Paul took time alone to be in the presence of God, to learn and to grow. 
And as Christians, we all need to do the same. Now, I'm not saying go to Arabia for three years, okay? (laughs) Not necessarily that. Maybe not even solitude for three years. But as Christ saves us and he changes our hearts, if the gospel has truly saved us and changed us, we start to have this desire to be in the presence of God. We want time with him. And not because the pastor tells you to or your small group leader tells you to. No, there should be a change in your heart that you desire to be in the presence of God. To get alone with him. To get alone with his word. To study. To read. To pray. To meditate. To worship him. See, when the gospel changes me, it changes my desires. And the first one is, man, I want to get more of God. I want more of his presence in my life. Paul felt that, and he's like, all right, I'm going away, just me and the Lord, we're going we're to get this going. So the first change we see is this desire to be in God's presence. Then he goes on, he says, after a couple years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is another name for Peter. All right, so he went to visit Peter, and he also saw James while he was there. And the word visit there means that he was, be, he was going to become acquainted with them. So Paul didn't really know him yet. They didn't have a relationship. They didn't know each other. So he's going to meet Peter to build a relationship and start to uh, integrate himself into the church, into the family of God, right? And he's not going for instruction, right? He doesn't need any instruction in the gospel. He's already gotten that from Jesus, from the Lord himself. He's going for community. He's going for unity with the body. He's going for accountability from other people brothers in the faith. He's going to be a part of the church. Which points us now to the next desire that as God starts to change our heart through the gospel, we desire to be with God's people. That we want more time with the people of God who we can be in community with and in unity with and growing together and have accountability there and and people to pray with and talk with. This is the desire of all of God's children. I want to be with the family. And we need this. We need, as believers, we need to be deeply rooted in community with other people of God. We need that unity. We need that accountability. And here at Harvest, we primarily do that through small groups. This is the place. Sundays and mornings are awesome. We love worship. We love to preach the word. We love to gather But we need some time during the week where we can get together with God's people and grow in unity and community and accountability. And small groups are that. And so, hey, if Harvest is your church home, if this is where you're wanting to stay, if this is where you're wanting to worship, I want to encourage you, get in a small group. We actually have a couple new ones launching this month. This is a great chance. We have other ones that have space. This is a great opportunity to jump into some small groups with the new year and start growing with the people of God. This isn't a solo sport. We do this together. That's a desire that God puts in our heart. He desire, we have this desire to, to be with, with the church. You have to understand, despite what America tells you, we are not saved to be consumers. The church is not a place where I just come and I pick the programs that I like best and that best fit me like I'm at a buffet at Golden Corral. Right? It's not, that's not the way it works. I come and I plug in to what God is doing in the body of Christ, and I grow in community with other people. 
That's what he's called us to, to be contributors to the family. When the gospel saves me, it changes me and gives me this desire to be with God's people. So to be in his presence, to be with his people, and then one more we see here at the end. He says, hey, these churches in Judea, they didn't, they didn't even know who I am. They'd never seen me before, but they heard, he says, they heard that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now that statement alone is enough for us to be like, okay, the gospel is, is legit, right? Like to do that kind of 180 where I'm trying to annihilate and kill and persecute this to now I'm the main guy preaching it, that's a change that only happens because of Jesus. That kind of change is miraculous. The gospel had completely changed Paul and he had an amazing story because of it. But even in the amazingness, that's the word. And the awesomeness of Paul's story, he still didn't make it about him. Did you catch that? It was still for the glory of God. He always used himself, he used his story, he used the gospel to point back to the glory of God. That's because when God changes us, and when God saves us, he changes our hearts to be about him and not about us. He changes us to, to look for His glory, to point other people to Him and not to ourselves. To say, like, listen, I'm not on the throne anymore. Jesus is the one in charge. You've got to talk to Him. He's the one who gets all the credit. He's the one who gets all the glory. When I start thinking, when I start feeling like that, when those desires come over me, it changes everything. Everything about my life changes when God's glory becomes primary. When the gospel saves me, it changes me to desire to spread the glory of God. God saves you to change you for his glory. Oftentimes I'll have people ask me, as a pastor or even just as a friend, I guess, how can I know for sure? We actually had this conversation in our small group just this week. How do I know for sure that I'm saved? You know that doubt starts to creep in? Like, how do I know? The best answer I can give you, have you been changed? Have you been changed by the gospel? Not just have you heard it, not just have you said you believe it, have you been changed by the gospel? Has he changed your heart? Has he changed your desires? Do you desire to be in his presence? Do you desire to be with his people? Do you desire to make his glory the primary thing in your life? That's the evidence that the gospel has actually saved you. That it changes you. If you truly believe in Jesus and you've been saved by him, all these things will happen. All these changes will come. Now listen, it's not always overnight. It's not like you flip a switch and all of a sudden it's all like this. But it should be there and it should be growing. Right? The desire should be there, at least in seed form, and it should be growing as you follow Christ. More and more and more of that. That's what I'm looking for. How did Paul know that Jesus was real? How did he know that he had really been saved? How do I know today if I'm really saved? 
It comes back to that opening statement. If the gospel hasn't changed you, then the gospel hasn't saved you. Hear me this morning. If the gospel hasn't changed you, then the gospel hasn't saved you. Not yet. And if that's you this morning, some of you, you may have thought that you were saved a long time ago. But you've never seen a change in your heart and in your life. When you look at your life, you don't see the stages that Paul talked about. You don't see the, I was, but Jesus came, and now it looks like this. Did God come to you when you were in your sin? Did he save you by his grace? Calling you to himself, choosing you, bringing you into the family. Did he reveal his son to you? Did he open your eyes to the truth of Jesus? And was your heart and life changed? That's what the gospel looks like. And right now, I know we're all in different spots. We're all in different places, and that's fine. But wherever you're at, God sees you. He sees you in your sin. He sees you in your self-righteousness. He sees you in your pride. He sees you in your struggle and trying to run the race and, and, and get it done on your own. He sees all of that and he still loves you and he wants to save you by his grace today. And so if you have not yet experienced the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to give you a chance to do that today. Asking that God reveal his son to you. The gospel is very simple. It goes like this. There is a holy, perfect, righteous God who made us to be with him, and yet we chose to rebel against him and to sin against him, to disobey his word and to not follow his ways, to do our own thing. And because of that, our sin separates us from God, and we deserve his wrath and his punishment and even hell. And yet God looks at us with love and grace He says, I want want you to still be with me. I want you to still be part of the family. And so he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life. And then go to the cross and die a sinner's death. He stood there in our place, taking the punishment and the death that we deserve for our sin. And he put it on himself and he died and went to the grave. And three days later, he came back to life to prove that he was God, that he was the Messiah, and that all who turn away from their sin and believe in him will be saved. It's not a maybe. When God says it, it happens. When he calls you, it's done. All you have to do is see Jesus for who he is and say, I believe. Is God revealing his son to you today? Is he calling you to himself? If so, say yes to the grace of God. Everyone just bow your heads with me for just a moment. No one looking around. Just just give this moment to those who need to find Jesus today. If you're here and if that's you, 
If today God has revealed his son to you and he's calling you by his grace and you're ready to respond, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that. You can just pray these words after me. The words don't save you. It has to be your heart. It has to be your own faith. You have to mean this. I'm just giving you some words to help you get there. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have rebelled against you. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I'm asking you to save me, to forgive me, and to help me follow you from this day forward.